0: Welcome to Season 4 of The Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom, where we discuss business agility through customer experience, employee experience, and digital transformation. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom. The Agile World Podcast is brought to you by TechSystems, an industry leader in full-stack technology services, talent services, and real-world application. For more information, go to TechSystems.com. To read more about the topics discussed on this show, you can go to my website at gregkillstrom.com and read my latest articles, or get a copy of my latest book, Meaningful Measurement of the Customer Experience, now available on Amazon and other retailers. My name is Greg Kilstrom, and I'm the host of the Agile Brand Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about successful leadership and breaking out of the visionary manager binary. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Darby Veneer, Director of Operations and Technology, and author of The Indispensable Leader. Darby, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Greg. I appreciate being here.
0: Why don't you uh, start by giving a little background on yourself and, and what you're currently doing?
1: Yeah, so I've kind of had an interesting, diverse career. I started out early in my career in retail, specifically at tw- managing at a 22-screen movie theater, um, and then moved on from there to even more heavy retail in um the area of printing and where I took over a store managing a, a Kinko store, which is now FedEx office. For those of you out there, I guess I'm getting older now. Kinko's hasn't been around for quite a while. So I have to say that. I remember um, Kinko's. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so um, that was definitely the full retail experience. Cause at that time all the Kinko stores were open 24 hours. So running a 24 hour store was always interesting. Inevitably, um, I'd go home after, you know, eight, nine, 10 hours and have dinner. And I'd get a phone call from the overnight person that they were sick. So I'd turn around and go back and work all night also. Mm-hmm. So I did that for about five or six years and kind of got to the point where, you know, I was ready to be done with retail in particular, that 24 hour <laughs> management cycle. <laughs> um, and I, uh, went into the nonprofit world where I had managed a national, um, livestock association actually. Um, for about 11 and a half years. Um, Again, another interesting experience. I worked directly for a nine-member board of directors and every year there'd be an election. So I'd get new, essentially new bosses every single year. So that was always interesting to adjust to and changing priorities. And um, during that time, I came into the situation, the organization wasn't in a real great place with regard to branding. So there was a lot of fixing that had to be done. And um, and then a lot of repair work to the brand that had to be done. Um, so a lot of that took place over time and also went through a merger with another national organization during that 11 years and, and everything as well. Kind of the same situation. I got to the point after 11 years or so that um, I was ready to out of the nonprofit world and perhaps not have to get new bosses every single year. And I moved over to the for-profit world where I'm at now, um, where I work for a leadership development company. We do leadership coaching, leadership training, strategic planning for companies, um, and that sort of thing as well. So, But yeah, I mean, that's kind of my my background. It gets me up to, uh, it gets us up to where we are today.
0: Nice, nice. Well, yeah, looking forward to talking about this um these topics with you. Uh, why don't we start by talking about your book um, and some of the key ideas within it? Um, why don't you start by just telling us a little bit about the book um, itself and, and why you decided to write it?
1: Yeah. So the book's called The Indispensable Leader. And the concept behind it is that I'm trying to get folks to view the The idea of leadership is rather than viewing it as an either or, um, kind of view it as let's take the best of, of all pieces and put them together. And I start off the beginning of the premise of the book, um, where I talk about this idea of, I'm sure you've heard the question, are you a manager or are you a leader? You hear hear it all the time. You see it in articles (laughs) and I kind of start off the premise of the book by saying, I think that's a bad question. Um. I just don't like that way of looking at it because that is pretty much either or. Basically, it says either you can be a manager or you can be a leader, but you can't be both. And I don't believe that that's the case. Um, so how I ask everybody to look at it at the beginning of the book is, is you know, mm-hmm. we can use similar terms. Let's talk about the characteristics, though. Let's talk about manager characteristics mm-hmm. and more the visionary characteristics, because, again, you can have... I've, met some really great people who i would consider managers who are also good leaders so i don't want to use that term leader because a leader is more broad so if we talk about it in the context of manager versus visionary then we really can have a discussion about what those characteristics mean um, and how we get um, to the next level basically with our leadership style
0: Yeah. And so, you know, I think you touched on it just now, but can you talk a little bit about this visionary manager binary and, and how you, you know, what, what that, that term means to you?
1: Yeah. So the, the idea of, of looking at it as manager versus leader um, I use the term that, that that's a binary way of looking at it and having a not so binary way of looking at it is is viewing it like i said where we just start to talk about the characteristics so if you think about i know you know people on both sides so if you think about the manager archetype this is somebody who is usually highly organized they're methodical Um, They um, are the ones who are looking at how are we going to do something and what are we going to do? They're they're looking at what are the steps that it's going to take to get there. They're usually the ones that can also be seen as the the naysayer or the wet blanket because they're the ones who are like, yeah, but there's all these things that could go wrong and these are the things we're going to have to think about. These are the problems and the challenges. That's the, the manager type thinking. Then on the other end, if you think about this as a spectrum, on the other end of that spectrum, spectrum. You have the visionary um, thinker who they're more of the passionate person, the big ideas. They're constantly coming up with new ideas. Um, they're the ones that are typically saying, this is going to be so great. Just, just envision it in your mind because in their heads, when they think of an idea, it's done. Like they are there, we are done. Whereas the manager's like, yeah, there's like a hundred things we have to get done to get to that point. Right. <laughs> um, but the visionary is usually the why person. So if the manager is that is that what or how we're going to do it, the visionary is why are we going to do it? We're going to do it because we're going to grow our division. We're going to grow our business. And we're shooting for five years from now. And this idea is just the first seed in in potentially five other things that we're going to do to get to that point. So that's the visionary type that the issue is, is you have to be really careful Um, because you don't want to be at either end of the spectrum. You really want to ride in the middle. Um, And I actually ask folks to envision it um, almost not as a spectrum, but think of it more as uh, like a Venn diagram with two intersecting circles where you have the manager circle and the visionary circle. And what I want you to do is I want you to take the best characteristics of both types and put them together. And that's the indispensable leader. That's what I'm I'm asking you to shoot for and become. Okay. Because if you can do that and you can let go of the bad things, I mean, like the visionary thinker, they have a tendency to, like I said, they think their idea is already done and they move on. And then they don't understand why it's not like wonderful to everybody. The manager on the opposite side of that, they have a tendency to, again, be that person who's Who's very negative, or it comes off very negative, or they just want to check a box. Just tell me what needs to be done. I'll get it done, and I'll check the box, and then we move on. So they can some sometimes um, for their coworkers or their employees, um, they can annoy their coworkers because of the fact that. It feels like we're just checking a box and I don't even know why I'm doing it. They just told me to do it. And and the manager, if they're way over there on the spectrum, the manager's like, just do it. That's what your job is. It's not your job to question it. I don't want you to be like that. I want you to take the best pieces of both characteristics and put them together to become the best possible leader that you can be as an individual.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And this um, this really resonates with me. I I think there's a, there's a few things that that want to dive into here about this specifically. I, I think there's a fair amount of bias both on the individual themselves, which I kind of want to start with. I also think there's some bias on the on the part of other, you know, whether that's managers, leaders, even partners in a business and and things like that. But you know, I can I can kind of empathize here because I. I think of myself as fairly balanced. Um, and yet there have been times in my life or my career where I've been very much one or the other and, and prided myself on one or the other versus being a little, um, being a little more open to, to being more balanced. Like how does, how does an individual kind of get over it? Let's say they, let's say they like the fact that there, there are that visionary person or, they have those big ideas, like how do they kind of get over that bias against being a manager and a little more pragmatic as well?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the first key is, is us as leaders, whether you are just somebody who's leading people, or you're playing an informal leadership role, or you're running a company, um, you have to first understand that, that the notion of either or, again, is Is not how we should be looking at it. Plus, you may be asked to fill different roles throughout different points of your career. And just based on what you said, I'm guessing you've had to do that. Um, And most of us are. There are times when I have had to play more of the manager role. And there are times when I have had to play more of the visionary role, um, depending on where you're at. In particular, people who um, work for companies or run a department may have to be more managerial they may not if they're in a huge corporation they may not get an opportunity to be high visionary um, or it may be a very limited way in a very limited way. Um, however, if they go off and start their own company and they're running their own company one way or another they're going to be forced to be that high visionary person. The other cool thing about it is, is that if you know where you're lacking in um, skills or even passion, you can hire to help fill that gap as well. So I think we all have to play the role, both roles in different situations. But usually we have a tendency um, to be on one side or the other that we're better at. Yeah. So if you think about in the context of huge companies out there, Um, especially if you look at the it companies, I can guarantee you just based off of the things that I've read and I'm sure you have as well, obviously somebody like Steve jobs was very high visionary. I mean, he was kind of known as a bulldozer in, in a lot of cases (laughs) and he, he would think of great ideas and he didn't want to hear any excuses about how it couldn't be done. Um, So what he had to do over the course of his career is eventually figure out that he had to have people around him that could actually figure out all the steps it takes to get there and have a second in command and that sort of thing. The same thing with regard to Bill Gates. Um, I think that he had the same situation or somebody like Mark Zuckerberg. They all as they develop their products and their companies had to eventually realize I got to hire people to fill some of these skill gaps um, to help so that we can be as successful as possible. So I think that's, that's the biggest thing is, is just understanding that um, I I don't know that it's necessarily um, a bias over one or the other. It's, it's more of just understanding where your gaps are. Yeah.
0: Yeah. What would your advice be to a manager that, you know, they see some potential in, in someone that they're managing, but um, wants to encourage them to, to stretch out what one, whether, whichever side we're talking about, um, you know, stretch out a little bit. And again, kind of, you know, kind of helping that person that may be a, even younger in their career and fancies themselves, you know, either a very organized and pragmatic person or, you know, or the other, what, what would your advice be to a manager that you know, to, to get them to, to stretch a bit.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm very passionate about um, leadership development and developing people. So I would probably go down that path first, no matter which side they're trying to gain skills on um, just focus more on how do I help this person become a better overarching leader rather than trying to figure out which side they're going to fall on. Um, And so getting them the resources, whether it's some leadership training or definitely one-on-one coaching is very valuable because that gets much more specific to the individual. So it gives them a chance to focus on what their particular gaps might be or where they need to work on growing. Um, And providing those sorts of development resources definitely gives an opportunity then for one, that individual to grow, but then also you as that leader to develop somebody to be a better leader within your organization. Now, one of the problems is, is you have so many people out there, I've run into them a lot, who are like, well, what if I pay for, because usually you're going to have to pay for leadership development or coaching or whatever. What if I pay for all of this? And then they leave. And I know you've heard the, the, the opposite of that before, where somebody has said, yeah, but what if you don't pay for it and they stay, um, which, which <laughs> right, is a worse right. situation. So that's not what anybody wants either. So you really do have to, yes, you're going to put a little bit of trust out there. You're going to have to have a little faith, but no matter what, it is incumbent upon all of us as leaders to develop people, whether they're people who work underneath of us or they're people we know in our lives. It's just incredibly important from a leadership standpoint. If you want to be a great leader, then that's just part of your your life. It's who you are. So you, you're going to have to have a little bit of faith. You're going to have to um, maybe some invest some dollars in in your people so that they can actually move down that path um, and move more towards a, a potential um, point of greatness for them.
0: Yeah. yeah. Let's uh, switch gears a little bit here and and talk about uh, leadership tactics uh, to handle unexpected organizational challenges. So a good leader is a is agile and able to adapt, but that agility doesn't always come easily, right? So how do you recommend that leaders learn to become more able to handle the unexpected?
1: Well, All of us who have led through the last few years have uh, had this one way or another (laughs) Um, with all of the challenges and the things that we never would have even imagined that we were going to encounter um, in our careers. Um, One of the biggest things is, is I just encourage people to, you have to be compassionate. So start from there because here's the deal. Everybody has a past history that's affecting their, how they think it's affecting their actions. um, And then those actions are affecting the results they're able to achieve. Um, One of the stories that I always use um, from my life is, is um, when I was growing up as a kid um, in a small town in Nebraska, um at a certain point this was in the the mid 1980s and the economy kind of went bad and my father and grandfather owned a Ford car dealership and it basically got to a point where there were so many people not paying their bills to the dealership that the dealership was going to go out of business and I can I can tell you exactly like where this conversation happened and what we were driving and what I was eating at the time because we were we were actually having ice cream um But I can tell you when I was told, my parents told us that we were going to move and we were basically going to get in the car and drive West and, and tell, until my father found a job and that's where we we would end up. Um, Well, this kind of set off a variety of um, moves over the course of several years. And I think at one point I moved five times in six years. What, what that caused in me is, is, is I got to the point where I'm like, It's not worth making friends. Like I don't have time for this. We're just gonna leave again. So um, I, I remember the last one of the last moves, standing outside the classroom that I was supposed to be going into with my my parents and the teacher trying to convince me to go in, and I'm like, nope, there's no point. Like I don't, nope. (laughs) Um, But the point of this is, is that experience over those course of years altered how I think um and how i do things for a long time i was a very introverted person now whether i would have been or not if that hadn't happened i don't know um and it really wasn't until college when i got asked to actually um, participate in and help um, run an organization that i really started into leadership and then i just it was like um there was no barriers from that point I, i helped start several new campus organizations and everything But what it did is, is it made me, that whole process made me very self-reliant because I just had to rely on myself. So if there was group projects or whatever, I always wanted to be in charge because I needed to make sure that things were going to get done. Um, So all of those past experiences, what I use this as is to illustrate the fact that you don't know what what experience your um, employees have and where they were at and where they started. All of those things are th- are affecting them. They all they all affect how they think. They affect how they act um, because those, um, how they think affects how they act. and then the actions affect what result they're potentially going to get. Um, so I think that that's going to be one of the most important things in being agile and, and trying to help your folks adjust. Um, so if you started it from that angle, and just come in from a point of understanding. Then that gives you an opportunity to sit down and communicate with them. Change doesn't have to be um, painful. Um, that's not to say change is not hard. Um, of course it is hard. Um, it doesn't have to always be painful though. So I think if you if you sit down and you look at it from that, that perspective, and also help your team understand that perspective, um, it really does help you um, with that agility.
0: And you know, kind of along those lines, but what about the the leader that is concerned that changing their mind is, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm a big believer in when there's new information presented, um, it's time to reevaluate some assumptions and, and all those things. But I think a lot of leaders might have a hard time with, you know, taking a firm stand and then changing that stand. And, you know, is that going to hurt morale is that gonna make people think that they're a bad leader and make bad decisions like how do you how would you how would you coach a, a leader to kind of get over some of that um that mindset of you know again there to your to what you were just saying like things change constantly and sometimes as we've all seen they change very drastically and very suddenly how can someone kind of get over that idea of that they they have to know what's the right thing, um, you know, for now and into the future.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think too many people get in their heads about this because it, it's not as bad as it seems like everybody thinks something's going to be way more awful than it probably is because it's as humans. We can make things um, right. seem really awful in our heads. Um, and the big thing is, is that, as I lead people, I, I try to make sure they understand that everybody makes mistakes. Like, there is very rare um, cases that a mistake is career ending. Now, if you make the same mistake many times, um, then, yeah, well, that's a problem. Sure. Um, yeah. But again, uh, another thing that has guided me, and it actually is related to that 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 story mm-hmm. I just said with that idea that past experience affects us so much. Um, when I was at the movie theater early in my career, um, everybody was an operations manager. So you worked on the floor for a shift. And I also then my specialty area was HR. So I oversaw all the hiring and the training and everything. But I still had to do operations. Well, on Thursday nights, Um, All the new movies would come, and then you'd have to prepare all the old movies to go back. And this is in the days before digital movies when it was still on celluloid film. So Mm -hmm. on Thursday, you'd get this delivery, and it would come by a security guard because that's – movie studios are worried about that sort of thing. Um, Of all of these uh, canisters of (laughs) um, film, Um, and basically an entire movie would be – a two-hour movie would be six to eight reels, um, potentially, uh, that would come. So on Thursday nights, all of those six to eight reels had to be, it was called built up, so basically spliced together and put on a big platter so they were ready for Friday. And then all of the movies that were leaving had to be um, unspliced and put back on the six or eight reels to be sent back the next day. So whenever I managed on Thursday, I would always go help the projectionist finish this because I couldn't leave until they did anyway. Um, Not, not everybody did that, but I always did that. Um, And so I, it was two 30 in the morning or something one time. And I was getting this uh, print ready to be uh, it's called torn down where you take the, the, them apart and you put them back on the reels. And there's a little knob that you can like turn that you can speed this up when you're Um, winding it onto the reel. And then when it gets to the splice, you have to stop and you break the splice and then you switch to another reel. So think about this whole movie. It's on this big platter laying flat and it's held on the platter by this ring, this metal ring in the center that has spikes that go down into the platter. And basically, when you're uh, you're winding it on to the uh, other reels, this thing starts spinning and you have this knob and you can speed it up. And I sped it up because I was ready to get out of there. <laughs> and yeah. no joke, the center ring pegs must not have been down in the platter because all at once, this movie print went flying off into the projection booth like Phew. And it was like, you have those slow motion um, moments in your life. That is exactly what it was like. I was like, no. (laughs) So then I'm standing there looking at this movie print on the floor that is just in this jumbled mess. And the only way I can explain it to those people who don't know what I'm talking about is this picture like a 2,000 foot extension cord that you have nicely coiled up and then just throw it on the floor and jumble it about. That's kind of what it looks like. Um, You can't just pick it up and put it back on. So I spent the next six hours or so, five or six hours, basically pulling Mm -hmm. out strands as much as I could, as long as I could until it got to a knot and then cutting it and then unknotting it and then pulling more out and then splicing those back together and then pulling the next section out. I got done at like 7.30 in the morning, eight o'clock, I don't know. And this thing had so many splices in it, it was crazy. And I'm like, I'm fired. Like, this is the end of my career here. Um, <laughs> and my managing director was coming in a little bit later. So I went home, I showered, and I came immediately back. And I was standing outside of his door again, thinking, okay, this is where your job ends. <laughs> um, and I went in and I told him the whole story. And I'm like, here's what I did. I'm like, but we're probably going to have to pay for this print because they're not going to like all these splices. And I, I don't know what it costs, but I think several thousand dollars per reel is what a movie costs to replace. Um, so he hears the whole story. And I'm like, OK, sit back and wait to be yelled at and fired here. And he just looks at me and he goes, Darby, you know what? I appreciate you coming in and telling me and I appreciate the steps that you took. Um, that's you know what? That, that's it. Go home, get some sleep. And that was that was it. Wow. So what that did for me is is then again past experience. I have used that story so many times in my career when I have had one of my employees who screwed up with something, and they were and I could tell they were freaked out. And I'm like, let me tell you a story. <laughs> you do not need to be freaked yeah. out, and here's why. Um, but that's the point. Like as leaders, we just have to understand that we have to convey to our team members that it's okay to screw up. like Otherwise, they're not going to be able to relate to you, and then you're going to have problems. Um, And then we as leaders just have to understand not everything's going to go perfectly all the time. You should be willing to pivot to another idea if it's not working. Um, Now, yeah, you can get into trouble with your team if you do it a whole bunch of times in a short succession, but sometimes it even requires that. The important thing there is, is make sure you're communicating to your team. Here's the reasons why we got to shift. This is not working and this is why it's not working. We're going to try this other idea and they will understand. Um, And that's going to be the most important thing is that communication aspect um, of things, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. Well, one last question before we wrap up here. Uh, As a fellow author, I always like to ask uh, about process of writing, um, as you were writing your book, The Indispensable Leader, um, was there anything you learned through the writing process and, um, or maybe even something you would do differently in a follow-up or something like that?
1: I don't know if I did it any standard way. I don't know if there's a standard way. I don't
0: think there is a standard way.
1: But, yeah. <laughs> but um, my how I kind of went about it was, is over the years, I've just kept notes on a variety of situations and a variety of things. And my book really um, tells a lot of stories from my career. Some of the ones that I mentioned here, I talk about as well, but... Um, And then I use those to illustrate my points about leadership. Um, So I had all these stories and I always thought, eh, you know, maybe I'll write a book someday. And in in the middle of the summer of 2020, when I was working at home because of COVID and everything, I'm like, well, seems like a good time because we're not going out to eat we're not going to activities in the evenings and whatever. And I really just started by writing sections and writing sections of story um, and doing research around a topic or whatever. And I wrote a whole bunch of different sections. And then I came back and I started looking at, okay, what order would I tell these in? Because sometimes it's not obvious. I mean, the stories from my life obviously have a chronological order, but maybe that's not the order they need to be told in for how you want to illustrate your story. So I figured out the order and then you start figuring out how do you connect those things and really then I started looking at, okay, what does a chapter look like and how do I break things and whatever? Um, the only thing that I think I would change is, is that um, I worked with a, a company who was excellent um, called Book Launchers who helps um, self published authors and they help by providing a writer's assistant and stuff to help you like clean up your, your stuff and do editing and all of that. I think I probably would have gotten, if I do it again someday, I'll probably try to get my story a little bit further along before I go to them. And honestly, it's just about saving expense because obviously you pay them a fee. Um, so I think I could probably have saved expense if I had planned a little bit better, but since I'd never done this before, <laughs> um, that was the path that I went down, um, in order to do that. But, but yeah, I mean, I think that it's, it's, it's different if, if, uh, I think it's different for everybody and also dependent upon the type of book that you're doing. If you're doing a heavily, heavily. Um, focused, fact-based book where you're doing a ton of research that has statistics, scientific information, that process is going to be way different than my process was um, for my book. So, um, but yeah, yes. I, th- I think it's, um, again, it's different for everybody. <laughs> and I, 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 yeah, I, no, I, I will I, say that I um, I just released the book um, a month ago or a month and a half ago. And I have already been asked so much when I'm starting my next book, and I'm like, "Holy moly, I'm not even thinking about that," because <laughs> I'm still yeah, tired yeah, yeah, from the other one. <laughs> it's,
0: it, I think it's like having kids, right? It's like you have, <laughs> like you have one, you're barely sleeping, and then all of a sudden, it's like, when, when are they going to have a brother or sister? Or something yeah, like that, right. <laughs> So, yeah, you know, I I, 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 can, I can empathize with the, the, <laughs> the, the process there, but, and I will say there's, I mean, I've, I've written a few now and, um, I, I've created a process over doing a several, doing several of them, but the first few, I was just kind of trying a few different things and, yeah, you know, I don't think, I don't think there's any one right way to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Darby, uh, thanks so much for joining the show. Uh, For those listening, uh, what's the best way for them to keep up with what you're doing as well as to get a copy of your book?
1: Yeah, so the best way to to find me is uh, go to my website. It is beindispensable.com and all the social media links and everything are on there too. But I'm most active on LinkedIn. If you just search Darby Veneer, you'll find me. Um, The other thing I would say is if you go to beindispensable.com slash audio, um, you can get a free um, audio recording of the preface of my book. If you want to get a taste of, of what that is, um, that'll give you an idea as far as uh, what, what you can expect from the book if you're thinking about uh, buying it or you want to learn more about me or that sort of thing.
0: Wonderful. Well, again, I'd like to thank Darby Veneer, uh, author of The Indispensable Leader, for joining the show. Thanks again for listening to The Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom. Talk with you next week. Thanks again for listening to The Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom Podcast, brought to you by Tech Systems. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe on your podcast channel of choice and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can access more episodes of the show at www.theagilebrand.show. To get a copy of my latest book, Meaningful Measurement of the Customer Experience, visit my website at Gregkillstrom.com. Until next week, stay agile.